0: I'm going to encourage you to just to turn back to John chapter 4. We have been, with the Lord's help, been striving to understand who this Jesus is so that we might know him and that we might make him known. And in the beginning of John chapter 4, what we covered last week, what was we saw this, this tremendous encounter with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And from this, we learn that Jesus is not about following the social norms. He is about meeting people where they are at, saving them from their sins. Let's just pick up where we left off last week. I'm going to read chapter 4, verse 43, through the end of this chapter. It says there in John four forty-three, After the two days he departed from Galilee. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Please join me as we pray together. Lord, it's already been a, a magnificent morning to be able to wake up and see the, the snow falling, to see it stuck in the trees and on our grass, to be able to drive into church today, and just be reminded that this is a new season that we are entering into. As we shoveled and moved the snow around, we can think of our sins have been cleansed as, as white as snow. We've been able to gather and we've been able to sing of blessing your name and pointing to Jesus as the promised one. He is the Messiah. We've been able to, to, to reflect on how we need to point our eyes and fix our eyes on Jesus to be thankful for the country in which we live, and then be able to think about your faithfulness. And Lord, I'm going to call on that faithfulness again, as you are one that wants us to grow in our understanding and application of you. I want to pray that you would use this passage today, where we speak about a man that was in the middle of a crisis, and how you brought good from that. All around this room, there are people that are experiencing levels of crisis, whether related to their own health, whether their own job situation, finances, or someone within their family. And I believe you have a word today to them. I pray you would get me out of the way and just be able to reveal these truths from your scriptures today. And lift our eyes. And with your grace, may we apply them today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not sure if you've ever had this realization, but sometimes the best gifts our surprises. Several years ago, we were gathering for a family Christmas down at the farm. And while there, we were doing a gift exchange, and my Aunt Pat had my name. And I opened up this package, and I knew it was a, some clothing because I, I shook it. And, and as I opened it up, it was a shirt. And I have to confess to you, my first thought in opening up this box and looking at this shirt is what in the world am I going to do with this? It was, uh, I think they call it a a Conley shirt, where where it's one in which it had buttoned up at the top. And, And I had it for a few days. Next thing you know, I put it on, and it quickly became my favorite shirt. And for years, it held that status. Well, perhaps you've met a person for the very first time, maybe at work, Maybe they moved in across the street from you. Maybe they married into your family. And you thought to yourself, I don't like this guy or I don't like this girl. And and if I have to stay here and work with this person, this is going to be a difficult job. I can remember that happened to me when I graduated college. I, I started a new job in the area and I met a guy named Steve who I thought was an old grumpy man. But you know what happened? After just a matter of weeks month or so, he became one of my best friends. He's one that I look forward to going to work to see. Things changed. There was a surprise there. And I don't know if you're old enough to be able to reflect on your life, to look at a a series of crises that have settled into your life over the years. I've done that. I've thought about when my parents got a divorce. I thought about when I was a teenager and I had this acne that just just went across my face. That was a crisis in my life. I thought of sometime after becoming a Christian during my college years and just saying, I'm not going to date a person that's not a Christian and, and waiting years, and I would say loneliness, as in my single years waiting for God to, to bring about that, that woman. I think of when I graduated college and I was just discovering who I really am in Christ and my identity was was rocked when I lost my job because I had I tied so much of who I thought I was into my job. And then I thought of when I got married, a, a crisis came when we just went through a, a rough patch and where God just said, you need to step up and you need to take some initiative and lead through this. I think of times when I've been parenting and, and if I'm honest, there's more than one of these times where When my boys have been unruly or they've just not followed through with what we've asked them to do, we've seen patterns of sin, and and suddenly I'm like, God is saying, you, you're the dad. You need to step up and do something about this. And then I think of the, the privilege of serving in churches where there's, Crisis that happens and just crying out to God and and standing in the gap for another person and and crying out for wisdom and and praying for wisdom and how to, to provide counsel. Now, all of these, as I look back, yes, they were hard, but I can actually say now that there's good that come from that. Today we read of a dad who is in crisis. His son is ill and he could die. What I want us to do today is, is look at this passage, and I think by the end that we will see that crisis is often a gift given to us by God to show us more of Him Himself, that we might become more like Jesus. Before we get into this story, we need to consider the backdrop of this. And, and if you have a friend that says the Bible is filled with contradictions— and it's this not a generalization they've made, but they've actually looked into the Scriptures and tried to find some of these contradictions, likely they would rest on chapter 4, verses 44 and 45. Because it seems like there is a contradiction here. One of the values of just working through the, a book of the Bible, verse by verse, is you have to deal with these passages. Look what it says there in verse 44. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Well, where is he from? He's from Galilee. And then it says there in verse 45, so he came to Galilee. In one hand, he says in verse 44, a prophet has no honor in his hometown. The next verse tells us he goes right back into his hometown. And from this, we can conclude that Jesus did not choose the easy path the one with the least resistance. Rather, in obedience to the Father, he would go to the hard path. That's not the contradiction, however. Let me read verse 44 again and then into 45. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Does that not sound like a contradiction? On one hand, Jesus said that a prophet does not have honor in his own hometown, but the next verse says that when he goes back to his own hometown, that they welcome him. Well, it really depends on what we mean by welcome him. As we looked earlier in this passage in John chapter 4, we could say that the Samaritans had welcomed Jesus to Sychar, that village where Jesus talked with the woman at the well. But when they welcomed, they became followers of Jesus. They were all in to become obedient disciples to Jesus. What about these Galileans? They may have welcomed him, You know, they probably appreciated that he was the golden boy, the local miracle worker. They probably appreciated that he was a bit of a celebrity. And they could say to their friends from out of town, I reside in the same town that Jesus is from. Yeah, we were in the same neighborhood. I I played with Jesus and, and his little brothers and little sisters growing up. My mom and his mom, they were good friends. But just because you welcome him doesn't mean that he is one that you are seeking or that he is Lord or Savior of your life. In your outline, it says, Many flocked to see Jesus, to do signs, but few desired to follow him. In John 1, verse 11, it says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. John 2 verses 23 and 25 says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Like today, there are many people that want to be associated with Jesus but not necessarily followers of Jesus. And from these two verses flow the story that we are going to look at today that illustrates that. We have an official. That's what it says there in verse 46. The Greek word is basilikos. It means king and little. It means a little king, a royal one. He would have served likely under the king of that area. Herod the Great is no longer alive. But his son, Herod Antipas, is. He was just as mean and cruel as his dad. Herod Antipas is the one who who, uh, stole his brother's wife. He is the one who also arrested John the Baptist and would have him beheaded. As an official, he would have been wealthy. He would have had resources to help. But he was in a crisis at this moment. We also see that he was from Capernaum, and he went to Cana. Just recently, I took my phone out, and I said, how far is Cana to Capernaum? It's about 16 and a half miles. So let us look at these three truths here that come from this passage about crisis. The first is this, a crisis does not discriminate. A crisis does not discriminate. Here is a man that is a leader. He is wealthy. He has connections. He was offered privileges that others did not have. He would have had access to the finest doctors or medical practices, but no one or nothing could help his son. And loved ones, hardships and afflictions do not care what your job title is or what your take-home pay is. Illness and calamity and conflict does not consider the car you drive or the neighborhood you live in. Job, Job chapter 5, a man who knew himself about affliction and losing his children, wrote, But evil does not spring from the soil and trouble does not sprout from the earth. People are born for trouble as readily as sparks fly up from a fire. In the same way that it is natural for sparks to come up from a fire, it's natural for you, young man, woman, to experience trouble in your life. And this man, despite all the advantages that he had, was in crisis. One commentator named Kent Hughes said this, There are many things money cannot buy. Money can buy a king-size bed, but it cannot buy sleep. Money can buy a great house, but it cannot buy a home. Money can buy a companion, but it cannot buy a close friend. Money can buy books, but it cannot buy brains. Money can buy a church building, but it cannot buy entrance into heaven. And as our text suggests, money cannot buy life and health. Wealth cannot buy the life of a loved one. This official was in agony. Nothing could relieve him. Nothing. The end appeared inevitable. The first thing we see here is a crisis does not discriminate. This official, this royal worker for King or King Antipas, he had power and possessions. He had everything he wanted except a healthy son. And he would have traded it all for that son if he would be no longer ill. The second thing we see from this passage is a crisis uncovers the heart. A Proverbs 17, verse 3 says, The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. I like this official. The more I read about him, the more I I study of him, uh, I think he would have fit very well here in northeast Wisconsin. Uh, I see him as one that knew what hard work was like. He knew what responsibility was like. He was a kind of get-it-done sort of a guy. I I could have seen him in our culture and in some jeans and a flannel shirt and some work boots and, and barely shaven if shaven at all. And he comes 16 and a half miles away to be able to meet Jesus. It says there in verse 46 that he, he came again to Cana in Galilee where he made the water wine. And to Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. Verse 47 says, When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked. The the Greek, Word here for ask is this begging, it's urging, it's a continual. It's not just a one-time ask. It's continually coming up to Jesus and saying, My son is ill. Will you go back? And will you heal him? In Verse 48, we see Jesus' response. And it is a surprising one. Here is this humble man. that has no hope of his son being healed. You know, when you're in a children's hospital, life comes into perspective. You get thinking about what really matters. And not only did this man look down at his son that he could do nothing about, but he would have looked into the, the eyes of his wife, who likely would have been filled with tears, bloodshot eyes, and I'm going to guess felt like a failure because his son and his wife were in such pain and he couldn't do anything about it. So he hears that Jesus is in the area. He turned water into wine and maybe, just maybe, he could do something about it because these doctors and nurses do not have a clue. And so he comes desperate, And he brings this plea to Jesus. What do you think Jesus is going to do with that? It says there in verse 48, So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I think this is one of the most shocking things that Jesus says. Clearly he saw through the heart of this desperate father who had done anything for his son to be healed. And he says something that seems to be kind of brash. Unless you see, the word you here is plural, it's not just speaking to the Father, but to everyone who was in the crowd, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. What he was doing was revealing what was in this man's heart. Really, all the the only reason that he had come to Jesus was to use Jesus. To say, would you heal my son? He was not there to to see and inquire if, if Jesus would be his Savior, if he would be his King. No, he was only there to say, Jesus, would you help me with this problem? A crisis uncovers what's really going on in our hearts. And this is what's taking place here. How would this officer handle such a statement? On one hand, likely he was used to telling people what to do, and if they didn't do it, he would bring discipline. Now Jesus is giving him a very firm response. He could have said, you know what? I've come all this way, and this is the kind of response I get from you, Jesus? I'm out. I am out of here. But this is not what he does. He doesn't flinch. Verse 49 says, Sir, come down before my child dies. Translation, Jesus, you're right. You've seen what's going on in my heart, but I'm still here. And looking him in the eye and says, you're still my only hope. Would you please help me? With my crisis. I wonder how often this is present in your life. When you go through a crisis, when you go through trouble in your life, what does it uncover about you? Do you see that what is really going on? Is there some idolatry there? Is there some selfishness going on there? Do you find yourself merely just using Jesus? rather than coming to Him for a relationship. You know, as I preach before you on Sunday mornings, I try each time throughout the week to say, this is what I believe, God, you want me to say. But before I say it, I have to ask myself, is this being worked out in my own life? In fact, I just confess to you, there's times as I've looked at this passage that I've used Jesus. And I've thought, man, my heart is... It's cold, it's, it's dry right now, but I need your wisdom for this decision. Would you help me with this? Or, uh, Lord, I have to I bring a message on this Sunday. Would you, would you just give me the, the grace to be able to deliver that? And I lose sight that ministry, messages, is out of the overflow of my relationship with Him. And I was convicted this week. I said, God, yeah, there are times that I use you. Instead of seeking you for a relationship, I just say, just help me with my job. And that is not what he is interested in doing. So he makes this appeal. It says there, verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. And listen to what Jesus says in verse 50, Go, your son will live. And so he makes this appeal. Would you, would you journey with me back to my hometown? And would you bring healing to my son? And Jesus says, go. Your son will live. Now, dads or moms, if you were at your wit's end and your child could die at any moment and you had went to Jesus and you had made this appeal and he just says, go, your child will live What would you do next? Would you not immediately leave and go check on your son? So it's 16 and a half miles away, okay? Uh, How long does it take to walk a mile? Yesterday, a few of us went to the the Badger game, and we parked about a mile away from Camp Randall. I brought my phone up, and I said, uh, how long, what's the route to take? And it said 20 minutes. So twenty minute miles. That's that's three miles per hour. Okay, and so how long would that take? Uh, how many times is three go into sixteen? Let's just let's just round it up to six. Okay, that'd be eighteen. Okay, and so let's say six hours. And what time did this conversation take place again? Well, if we look down a little bit further. It says in verse 51, As he was going down, a servant met him and told him that his son was recovering. Verse 52, So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. That is one o'clock in the afternoon. If it took, let's just say, seven or eight hours to walk, and that's calculating a meal, that's calculating a break, he could have been home by eight, nine o'clock that evening, Right? But what did this man do? If you look again at verse 52, it says yesterday at the seventh hour. Do you know what this man did, this official, when Jesus said to him, go, your son will live? He said, I'm going to take Jesus at his word. And I'm going to stick around. I'm going to stay right where I'm at. Right now, I'm going to grab myself a meal. i got some business to take care of. i got some friends in town, some family. I'm going to visit them. And then tomorrow, I'm going to go back home. I told you, I like this guy. He's one that just looked Jesus in the eye and says, Yeah, you got me. You've seen what's in my heart, but I'm still appealing to you. And when Jesus said, Just go, he said, I'm going to take Jesus at his word. J.C. Ryle, in his commentary, said, Jesus' word is as good as his presence. So let's consider the third thing we see about crisis in our life, and that is this, a crisis displays the work of Jesus. I believe if this official and his son stood before you and I today, he would have said, this crisis was a good thing in our life. If this crisis had not taken place, I would have never sought Jesus. Jesus healed this boy 16 and a half miles away by merely speaking words. He did not need to go there. He did not need to put his hand on him. He just spoke it and that boy's fever left him. Now listen, that's the Jesus You serve. He he speaks and it goes and it is done. But loved ones, there was a much deeper work being done in this official's life. There were other miracles that God was going to do in this family. Because as you look at this passage, it says in verse 53, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live and it says here, and he himself believed and all his household. Now, this was a different belief than the belief that, that led him to this walk back home. This belief was one in which he realized Jesus could save him from his sins. And he could enter into a relationship with Jesus. The first belief was one in which he would heal his son so there was this transforming work that was taking place. God not only restored this son's physical life, he brought eternal life to the dad. His belief went beyond Jesus. I need you to do this for me to Jesus. I need you to forgive me. Grant me eternal life. This officer got a new king. Not only does he have a new king, but so does the entire household. This was a leader. This was a one who said, I met this Jesus, and he has healed, He's healed my boy here. Now wife, children, household, I believe that includes the servants, I need you to gather around, and I want to tell you about this Jesus. I'm a follower of his, without reservation. And Jesus... Use this, this instance in his life and saved the entire household. Earlier in John 4, we saw a community being transformed by the testimony of this woman. Now we're seeing entire family being transformed by the testimony of this dad. I believe the officer would have been able to say what David said in Psalm 119.71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. I believe he would have said, if this affliction had not come, I'd still be in my sins today. I'd be in hell today. I believe if they would stand before us this morning, this official with his son beside him would say, the best thing that happened to me and my family was when my son got sick. You know, oftentimes what I do is I'll take the passage that I'm going to preach on, and, and I'll print it out, and I'll mark it up all week long, and then I'll pray, God, where is it you would lead me, lead our church in understanding this passage? This week, I found myself flipping that page with this theme of crisis, and I just wrote a list of the most painful hardships that I've ever endured, and I just made a list, and there were about ten of them. And as I looked upon that list of crisis in my life, I stepped back a little bit, and one conclusion I drew was I haven't had a very difficult life, not, not like many of you have. But the other thing that I looked at as I got a, a, a bird's-eye view of my entire life was what I used to view as, with such pain and say, man, that was a difficult time. Today I could say it was good for me it was good that I went through those afflictions. I could see where God revealed himself more to me. I can learn of lessons that I had drawn from those periods of time. And the scripture tells us then, in verse 54, this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Warren Weersby, in his commentary on this passage, said the official possessed... A crisis faith that gave way to a confident faith that led to a confirmed faith that prompted a contagious faith. So, what's a takeaway? What's a takeaway from this passage? Number one, what is your crisis? Right now, what are you going through? Could be physical, could be mental, could be emotional, could be spiritual could be the condition of one of your family members, relationships, job stress, financial, personal disappointment, health-related. What is your crisis right now? Secondly, what is this crisis uncovering in your heart? Are you seeking to use Jesus like this official did at the opening part of this passage, only that he would bring relief to you? to restore your comfort? Or is this crisis revealing idolatry that you're, you're turning to someone or something else to ease the pain? You know, that can be a subtle thing. It could be just going to a Facebook marketplace to shop four-wheelers or a, a boat or something like that. Just get my mind off this pain. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retreat into shopping right now rather than retreat into Jesus. What is this crisis uncovering in your heart? Is there envy, selfishness, rivalry, anger, division, worry, fear? And then thirdly, what would Jesus like to do in your life through this crisis? What sort of work is the Holy Spirit wanting to work in your heart as As God's got your attention right now in the middle of this crisis. Now, in this particular passage, God worked an absolute miracle and He healed the Son. I can't promise you that there's going to be an absolute miracle like that. But I can tell you this, that God wants to do a work in your heart to make you more like Jesus. You cried out? Have you asked Him to intervene? A couple years ago, I remember getting a book in the mail sent to the church. It was called How People Change. It was by Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp. I remember reading that book, and then I got the, the conference video series with that. And it made such an impression on me that I gathered some of the leaders in our church, the deacons and the wives and other leaders, and on a Wednesday night we said, we're going to go through this material that speaks about how God uses crisis in our life. And then after that time, we, we actually did this class on a Sunday morning that all who wanted at 9 o'clock before the worship service. And there's a little diagram that has been associated with this book that I found really helpful. It's on the back of your outline. It's been a while since we went through this, so let me just give you a little refresher course on what this diagram is if you haven't seen it forever or if it's been a while since you've seen it. On the very top and center of this circle is heat. This is the crisis. This is the affliction. This is the, the hardship that God is allowing in your life. An interruption, an inconvenience, something that you would never choose in your life, but God has ordained that you are going through it right now. It could be massive. It could be small. Okay? and You'll see it's like a sun that just kind of beats down on your life. All of us have some heat in our life right now. And then as you follow that down to the the, the bottom of that circle, you'll see a cross. Now here's what we can do with that. I'm, I'm speaking to two different people this morning. One, people that have never been a Christian. And as you are hearing about this crisis and you're hearing about this hardship in your life, what is God's will for you? I believe His will for you is the same as it was for this official, that you would seek But ultimately, you would seek Jesus to be forgiven of your sins and become a follower of his. And there's a second group of people in here that have already done that. And when you have done that, as that heat shines down in your life, you have options. That cross represents the gospel. It represents the resources that Jesus has given to you when you turn from your sins and you place your faith in Jesus. So here's the heat. Here's the crisis that's come down in your life. If you go to the right, you can choose, I'm not going to use the gospel resources. I'm going to do it on my own, on independence. I'm going to live it out in my sinful nature. I'm going to get upset. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to get bitter. I'm going to choose someone else or someone else to, to provide relief from the pain that this heat is causing in my life. Just know that when you do that, that will bear fruit. If this man, when Jesus said, Hey, the only reason you're coming to me is to see signs, but you have no desire to follow me, if that man would have acted out in anger and says, Forget you, Jesus, that would have bore fruit. He never would have seen his son healed, and he never would have had his own heart healed of his sin. There's another option, Christian. When you're experiencing this heat, and it's, it's burning down into your life, There at the cross, you've been given the gospel resources, the Holy Spirit, that enables you to follow His way. What is it that God wants to do in your life through this crisis? He wants to make you more like Jesus. He wants to shape you. He wants you to learn faithfulness. He wants you to learn love and joy. He wants you to experience peace through this. And that, too, will bear fruit. In the official's life, when he went that way, by God's grace, it bore fruit of his wife, of his children, of all his household becoming Christians. What will you do with this crisis? Will you look back on it five, ten years from now, and a list of all the things you went through and said, that, that was good, that was good for me when I went through that. Because God taught me more about himself and his word, I want to urge you today to take the long view of your life and see this this crisis that you 're in right now is something that God is using, and god 's going to work good through it there 's a great story, one that probably most people in this room are very acquainted with it 's a story of Horatio spatford in eighteen seventy one This lawyer from chicago experienced what all the citizens of Chicago did on that year, the great fire. And it claimed his four-year-old son. Talk about getting his attention. Not only did it claim his son, but it also claimed his law practice, where he lost everything. In 1873, there was a financial crisis in America as well. So uh, Horatio sent his wife and four remaining daughters to England while he tried to settle accounts there in Chicago to rebuild this law firm. And you remember the story, right? When they're in this boat and they're going to England, that boat collides with another vessel and the three daughters die, remaining just the wife and the dad, the husband. And as... As he eventually gets in that boat and he goes across the sea in the general area where that accident took place, where his four daughters had drowned, he wrote those words to the song that we love to sing here that's very meaningful to us, It Is Well. So I'm going to have Ethan and Hannah come and we're going to sing that song today. And there are times that we sing a song and, and it's just... Song, and maybe we don't give it a lot of thought. But this morning, I'd like us to sing this song as a prayer. And say, you know, I'm going through this heat right now. I've got this crisis going on right now. And God's going to work through this. And so as we sing these verses and we sing this chorus, why don't you allow that to be your prayer back to God? It is well. God, you're going to work in these circumstances in my life. You are going to work good. You're going to make me more like Jesus as a result of this. But if you would say, as as you're hearing people around you sing, I can't sing that right now. It's okay. I don't want you to lie. I don't want you to sing it if you're not able to sing it. But maybe then the most appropriate thing for you to do is just to pray and say, God, I want it to be well with my soul. And would you do this work in my heart that would get me to a place where I could say, it is well. And there are people here that would love to pray for you in that. I just want to remind you that what we saw in this passage, we got to see the whole story, didn't we? We saw the crisis, we saw him come to Jesus, and we saw the whole family then, as a result, come to Jesus. You might not know the whole story yet, but may God give you the grace just to persevere. Let me pray with you about that, okay? Father, I thank you. I thank you for a, a, a couple of verses here in the end of John 4 that, that speak to situations that, that we are going through. We're in the middle of a crisis. We're in a hardship right now. Maybe, maybe mild, maybe severe, but we see here that people come to Jesus and their relationship is deepened and more mature as a result of that. And I would pray that that would be what we would lean into, that would be our desire for our personal lives, for the life of our family and the life of those around us. And may we be a, a, a church family that loves one another through that. In Jesus' name, amen.